Hey. That's right. I was thinking about that. What made us become friends, Greg? Speaking of Iowa State. <laughs> I've been thinking really hard about after what I said yesterday. And I, being a missionary, again, I know I need to do things to, even though they're not part of my culture, like, it's not, you, you can't talk about how you hate Iowa State when you're trying to reach the people that need the Lord the most. <laughs> yeah, so I've been trying to think, I thought, I spent a lot of time today talking, or thinking to myself, what could I do, that, what do we have in common? You know, like in Thailand, when you don't have a lot of things in common with Thai Buddhists, what do we do? Well, so I, play so I played soccer through high school, elementary high school, and all up into college. And I play soccer with friends to meet people. And so I've been trying to think really hard. What do we have in common that we both like? Iowa, Hawkeye. We're in the Hawkeye State. Um, that, that was just a reminder. Um, and I was trying to think, what do we have in common? I was like, man, I'm not coming up with anything. So I'm like, okay, if you can't think of anything that you like in common, what's the next step when you're trying to figure out what you don't like in common? So I was like, hmm, what, what could we maybe come to an agreement on that we just, we're not going to agree on Hawkeyes and Cyclones. So I was thinking a, a couple, you know, a name kind of, I don't know, Tim Floyd. Um, okay, no. <laughs> Nebraska. <laughs> So maybe we can come together on our dislike for Nebraska. <laughs> I'll, I'll look forward to speaking with the Limbaugh family later. <laughs> Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Whatever form you have your Bible, if it's a book, great. If it's a phone, Great. Whatever form you have it, whatever, if it's on device, turn your, your Bibles there to the book of Romans, chapter 12. As you're turning there, it's a, I tried that out. and Dr. Fanus, where are you? There you are. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I tried my latest jokes, and it reminded me of a, of a note that I got on my pillow this morning. Interestingly enough, it said, Dear Dad, have we ever told you how much we love you and that you're really cool, Dad? Well, you are. Don't ever forget that. That being said, we need to talk about your sense of humor. <laughs> you see, Dad, we know funny, and well, you're, you're not funny. <laughs> It's been really tough these last two days when people ask us if we're the missionary kids and we've been saying no. <laughs> You're really cool at home, less cool at camp. Work on it. <laughs> Love, Ryan and Hudson. P.S. Can we have another 20 bucks for snack shop? So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is going to be a familiar verse for all of you. If you spend any time in the Word of God, 
ever, you've probably come across Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It reads this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. These verses, I've known them virtually all my life. These are, these are first-level Awana-type verses, aren't they? So there's never been a time in my memory that I didn't know them. I had a day where I memorized them, but I don't remember when that was. You heard my testimony last night, going off to Africa for one school year, my junior year of high school, and the Lord used that, took me away from my friends, my family, took me to Africa where I had no friends, took my health away, and through the process of taking my health away, used his word in my own Bible study to help me to realize that I was not saved. Came back to the States for my senior year of high school, happy to be saved, life transformed. But based on my experience in Africa, I was both scared to death, frankly, to be a missionary, and I was determined not to. Now, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I was I told the Lord I was happy to serve him. I wanted to serve the Lord what he had done for me, that mercy that he had showed me in Africa. And the grace given to me, even in my sickness, I wanted to serve God with my life. I was willing to serve God. But I said, Lord, I don't want to be a missionary. Interestingly enough, we went to Africa my junior year of high school, in the middle of my senior year at Grandview, I hadn't been home for seven months, about seven months. My parents had to come home because my mom had cancer. And I was sorting through it, what it meant to surrender all to God. My experience with surrender was losing my health. For the first time in my life, Death not being a theory, but being right in front of me. And then watching my mom suffer with cancer as if going to Africa had anything to do with that. I went off to college to be a ministry. I went to faith and studied in the youth ministry program. Traveled on summer ministries for three years. And after I finished faith, I spent two more years at two different camps out east as the program director, one in a camp in Ohio and another in a camp in Pennsylvania. And I had told the Lord that I was willing to do anything he wanted me to do if it meant being involved in camp ministry or youth ministry, hoping that somehow God would be happy with my sacrifice or surrender. And no one, after that second summer of being a program director, no one called me. No one knocked on my door. No one gave that phone call saying, hey, we'd like you to come and be involved in our youth ministry or in our camp ministry. So I took it as I'm free. I offered myself to God. He didn't want me, so I get to go, and now I just get to be a church member, make money, and do what I would really like to do with my life and make some money. So I threw it out there to God, and apparently he didn't bite so now I can do my thing. So I got a job out there in Ohio. I was making decent money. 
And I, the next two years, what started out making decent money and making me happy because I was, for the first time, I had a real paycheck in my life. Little by little, the paycheck meant less and less. I was miserable. It was a jo- kind of job where I could choose my own hours. I sold things to grocery stores that their grocery warehouses did not stock. So I could choose my own hours. And I, I was so miserable with that job that each day, as months and the year went on, I would wake up later and later in the morning, dreading going to work. And all I would do was put that, push the day later and later. So if I went, if I went, went to start working in the morning at 8, I could be done at 6. But I kept, I'd go 9, get done at 7, going at 10, get done at 8, going at 11, get done at 9, and so on. And I was miserable. It was Christmas time one year. I, I believe the year was 1996. Man, that's so long, long ago. At that time, our church had two services. We hadn't built our new, new auditorium yet. So our church had two services. It was the Sunday before Christmas. The Sunday before Christmas, my parents went to the early service at 8 o'clock in the morning. There was no way I was waking up that early to go to church. So I went to, I believe it was a 10.30, 11 o'clock service. I sat in the back by myself that day because the Sunday before Christmas, every, all, all, the, all the seats are taken. I went in a little late, so there were very few seats left. The place was packed. I sat alone by myself. My friends, they were sitting with family and friends. It's the Sunday before Christmas. You're supposed to sit with family. So I sat by myself. The singing was extra loud, extra joyful, because everyone knows Christmas songs. After that first... I tried to get myself through that first Christmas song, and I didn't feel like singing. We go into the second song. We stand, the song leader asked us all to stand up as we sing that second song, and I got up, and I walked out of church. I went home, walked in the door. My mom sees me there, and she has this puzzled look on her face, and she said, what? Did church get out early? And I could not even muster an answer other than to start crying. My mom, if you knew my mom, she felt terrible because she had asked me if church got out early. What? What did I do? I'm sorry. And for the next four hours, we unpacked my fight with God. If you would have asked me before that, are you fighting God? I would would say absolutely not. I told him what I was willing to do. I told him I was willing to surrender to be a youth pastor or in camp ministry. I told him. And as we unpacked the next four hours and came to the conclusion that I hadn't surrendered all, it was time to take care of business. So there it was, Sunday before Christmas, where I said to God in my prayer, Lord, I will do anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Here's what I would ask. Give me a job that I will wake up and not dread going to work. I don't care what it is. And as I slowly got myself back into God's word and prayer like I should, opportunities came my way to go to Southeast Asia. And I've been there ever since. From what we learned before, as we look at this verse here, from what we learned before, what does God want us to do because of these verses? I took homiletics class with Dr. Ralph Turk. 
He said in his homiletics class, you can do whatever you want when you're outside in your own ministry, but while we're in this classroom, you're going to give a purpose statement, and your purpose statement is going to be, God wants you to, and it needs to be followed by an action verb, not a being verb. So, based on Dr. Turk's preaching class, based on these verses right here, what does God want us to do? You don't have to be a preacher to know this one, right? God wants you to what? Thank you over there. That was my daughter. God wants you to what? Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy, acceptable in him, which is your reasonable service, right? God wants you to surrender all. But have you ever noticed, and I knew this verse, and I was scared to death this verse. I knew what it said. I didn't like what it said. I knew what it meant. I didn't like that either. So I tried to make a deal with God of what I could call surrender, even whether it was surrender or not. And I have overlooked, and I had overlooked for all these years, in the time I was a little boy till I grew up and really took note of what this verse truly means, not only does it tell us what to do, but in this verse it tells us why. Do you see the why God wants us to surrender? Why does God want us to give it all? Do you notice it there? What is that? Paul says in the beginning of this verse, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I appeal to you, my brethren, by what? By the mercies of God. What's the point Paul's making, the first point, if we're going to have two points in this here? What is that first point? Why do we surrender all to God? First point is because of his mercy to us. Let's talk about mercy. What is mercy? In this verse, Paul uses the word mercy. Why didn't Paul use the word grace? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the grace of God. Or why didn't Paul say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the love of God? Why did Paul say mercy? What is mercy? How is mercy different than grace? I'm going to give you something a little pithy here. In my church in Bangkok, our people have known this over years. When we talk about mercy and grace, they're similar but not the same, right? When we talk about grace and mercy, we start with grace. And in my church in Bangkok, when we say, what is grace? Here's the pithy Nate Beckman saying that people in in Binglao Baptist Church, Bangkok, Thailand know. Grace is happy birthday. What's grace? Undeserved favor, right? We get stuff on our birthday. People say happy birthday. They're nice, unusually nice to us on our birthday. We get gifts on birthday based on what? What did you do? What great thing did you do on your birthday? <laughs> you, were very, you had very little to do with that. The women in this room here today could remind us that you had very little to do with you coming out and being born. They did a lot of work. And the man, as I know, Stands beside, says, come on, you can do it, you can do it. (laughs) I have a course that I'll be selling in the back about how to say, you can do it, you can do it. (laughs) And you hear in the background, don't mind that, you hear in the background, it's kind of faint, but shut up, Nate. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Happy birthday, That's, that's grace. What's mercy? The pithy way we remember mercy at Binklau Baptist Church is this. That's it. Because mercy's what? When we think of mercy, mercy's not really fun. It's not too exciting. It's great, but it's not something that's fun. Because mercy forces us to think about our condition before we accepted Christ as our Savior, does it not? 
What's mercy? Mercy is not receiving the punishment for our sins that we deserved to receive. Mercy, grace is getting the good stuff that we don't deserve, right? Mercy is not getting the bad stuff that we do deserve. That's mercy. What's so significant about God's mercy to us? Here Paul says, I appeal to you, I beg you, I beseech you by the mercies of God. What's so significant about God's mercy. If we're going to understand the value of the mercy of God, we probably need to take time to review God's mercy to us in the past. Romans does that. Romans, follow with me. We're going to move quickly. What are we going to look at here? Starting in, go back to Romans chapter one. Let's talk about mercy and the value of mercy. Go back to Romans chapter one. We obviously can't read all these verses, so we're going to pick out some verses. When we talk about the mercy of God, one, Romans one through three explain very clearly how God viewed you and me before Christ died for us. When we read these, some things are going to, I hope as we read these in their context and we flow through them pretty quickly, I hope we get a picture of, maybe it's a reminder of how God viewed you and I, how God viewed us, you and me, before Christ died for us. Romans chapter 1 verse 18, what does it say there? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What does it say? We chose evil and suppressed the truth. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Even though we knew God, we did not honor him. Romans 1.25, because they exchanged the truth of God, about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. We exchanged God. We chose to exchange the God of heaven with things made by human hands. Romans 1.28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. And then there's this other one here. What? What? Disobedient to parents. And these big things here that we say, I've never done that. Disobedience to parents right in there with what we would view as the bad ones. To what level, are you getting a picture here? To what level did mankind sink in the eyes of God? Again, this may not be our viewpoint, but this is God's view written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the pen of Paul right? This is how God viewed us. How, what level did we go? Romans 3, flip over there, starting in verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths, a ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Friends, this is Romans 1 through 3. How did God view you and me before Christ died for us? And when we are not in Christ, 
What do these verses say about us? How did we look before? How did we look in the eyes of God? We were fallen. We by choice, we by choice had turned our backs on God. We had no hope. We weren't searching for hope. We weren't searching for God. We had put God in the position of punishing us for our sins. God had every right to punish us. And we were completely deserving of all that punishment. If God did not help us, we would be heading for punishment in hell. But instead of punishing us, he chose to do what? Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. We were weak. We were sinners. We were enemies. Maybe you don't feel that way. God felt that way. And in that, while God viewed us as that, Christ died for you. That's mercy. That's mercy. God had the right to eradicate both our sin and even us as well, but he chose not to do away with us. Instead, he loved us and forgave us. Mercy is not receiving the punishment for our sin that we truly deserve. Why? And here in this verse, because of the mercies of God, remember this, take it home Make it part of your life because God intends you no harm at all. God did not want us to perish. He did not want us to have that kind of sorrow, disappointment, but he wishes us good. If God did not wish us harm when we had fallen into sin, how do you think he feels towards us now, now that we're his children? If God did not wish us harm when we had fallen into sin, Why would he wish us harm when he asks us to present our bodies as living sacrifices? He wouldn't. Because God did not wish us harm at all while we were in sin. Friends, take it home. You can be absolutely certain. You can be confident. He wishes you no harm at all when he asks you to surrender it all back to him. This is the mercy of Romans 12.1. I beg you by the mercies of God to surrender it all. I beg you based on the fact that God had the opportunity to pull the trigger and we deserved it and he didn't take it. On that basis, he means you no harm. Surrender, quit fighting, give in. Giving in isn't losing. He means you no harm. I hope that can do in your heart what it did in my heart. It took the fear out of surrender and gave confidence because I gave God a shot to blow me away and he didn't take it. And he won't do that with you either. Why do we need to surrender? Because of his mercy. He means you no harm. 
Why do we need surrender? I think at the end of the verse, we have a second reason why we need to surrender. About the end of that verse, what it says, because of the mercies of God, we present our bodies as sacrifices to God. Then the end of the verse, it says what? Which is your spiritual worship. In another, verse, another version, it says what? Which is your reasonable service. Why the two different words? What's the difference? There's two, two words. I'm not a Greek scholar. But listen to this first word. I'm going to use two words. Listen to this first word, and you're going to get what it means, even if you've never studied Greek. Here are these two words, one in the ESV translated, this surrendering to God is spiritual worship. And another translation, it says reasonable service. Here are the two words in Greek, logiken latreia. That first word, logiken, it sounds like the word what in English? What? Logic. That's exactly what it is. Latreia. What's that word, Latreia? That word, Latreia, in ESV is translated worship. In another translation, it's translated service. What's the difference? It was the word, very specific word used to describe the work of the priest in the temple. It was service, but the work of the priest in the temple was an act of worship on behalf of the people of Israel. So what's Paul saying? Presenting our lives to God, frankly, is the only logical worship out there. Paul's understanding, in Paul's understanding, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, in Paul's understanding and what he taught to those first century Christians Serving God and worshiping God was not just singing songs and gathering together on Sunday, but it was a surrendered life every day. That was worship. And they were living sacrifices. Because of this truth in this verse, Paul simply means this. Because of the mercies of God on us, the most logical way to serve and worship God is by surrendering, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, total surrender to him. So we could read Romans 12, 1 this way, and it wouldn't be an inaccurate translation. I beseech you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable God, which is the most logical form of worship. If that's the case, how often do we really worship? So going along with our camp theme, writing for the brand. What's the question that we probably need to ask ourselves based on Romans 12.1? What's the question that in my heart I need to ask myself? If last night's question and yesterday morning's question is, am I really saved? What's tonight's question? Am I really, truly surrendered? The question that comes to my mind is, if my surrender is not complete, is it surrender at all? If I'm willing to cut up my, the, my life like pizza and give some pieces to Jesus, is that surrender? In my mind, it doesn't feel like it. Hudson Taylor said it this way. You may even know this. Christ is either Lord of all or is what? 
or is not Lord at all? How do you view the truth? What's going through your mind? The truth that God wants you to surrender yourself completely to him, not pieces, not percentages. I know that some view, people view surrendering their lives to Christ as something very scary. I felt that way. Or dedicating our lives is probably going to make it terrible. We're probably going to be poor. It's not going to be fun. Probably have to marry someone ugly. It's probably bald, kind of chubby. There's no honor in it. And most importantly, if I surrender it all, I know for certain, there's just no doubt about it, that God's plan for me, I know it's good and all, but it's not what I dreamed of. And there's no way in the world that God's dream for me could be what I could dream up for myself. I'm no, I know that. If surrendering ourselves to God is logical service, logical worship, not just singing songs. Singing songs is part of it. There's no doubt about that. But it's not just singing songs, not just serving in our church. When we have to, when we're obligated, how often do we really worship? And thinking through this all again. If you're fighting with the Lord about complete and total surrender, you understand what it means in your heart, but you're still giving and taking. I mean, you're here at Christian camp for Pete's sake. Maybe it's time to give in. Knowing what? God means you no harm. He had the opportunity. Christ died for you. I think another question that comes to my mind based on this right here, Romans 12, 1, that maybe we don't think of because the emphasis just jumps off the page is surrender. But I think another question that comes to my mind is when it talks about writing for the brand, being authentic, I think a question simply might be, is my worship authentic? And maybe there's someone here, even today, even tonight, that feels like you know you're saved. There's no question in your mind. And you know that the Lord is prodding you to give more than you've given. Surrender all to his will. You're just not sure that his plan for your life is going to be good. Or maybe you're scared because you think God might want to take more than you're able to give. He had the chance and he didn't take it. He means you no harm. Surrender to God. All, all. Because of his mercy. And because that's true worship. God, help us to be the people you want us to be. Work in hearts right now. May the truth of Romans 12.1 resonate affect our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.